All right, race fans, Ryan Aho here and the one and only Bert Lehman. Bert, how the hell you doing, man? Uh, I am doing better right now. Um, <laughs> on last week's show, you know, I mentioned that, you know, uh, I've been dealing, one of my dogs hasn't been feeling good for the last few weeks, but she was on some new medication and was doing well. Uh, and then later that night, she took a turn for the worse and didn't make it through the night. So uh, last week was pretty sad. Um, you know, it, it, I mean, it's still sad, uh, but uh, I'm getting accustomed to it, I guess. So it's just, that's one thing with dogs, you know, you love them to death, but you know, they have a short life. And um, I mean, uh, Zoe, that was a dog. I mean, she was like 15 years old. So she lived a long, good life. So um, it's, you know, something all dog owners have to deal with uh, eventually. So, but things are getting better. Uh, I, I heard uh, you went to a race banquet this past weekend. I did. I did. So I went to the Grand Rapids Speedway Banquet. Before we get into that, of course, episode 117 brought to you by our friends over at Dirt Track Supply, Watertown, South Dakota. Get a hold of Trevor, get a hold of Ron. If you need parts, if you need tires, when they come in, right? Um, if you need stuff fixed, fabricated, you need a new chassis, the Aero chassis, get a hold of them, guys. They've been servicing race, you know, race drivers for for years. I mean, Ron Anderson's a legend over in South Dakota. Trevor's becoming a very good racer in his own right, you know, and I tell you what, they've been helping people for a long time. So get a hold of Dirt Track Supply. But yeah, I got to get over to the Grand Rapids Speedway Banquet up in northern Minnesota. And Bert, the first thing I thought is why the hell did I live in northern Minnesota so long? Unbelievably cold. It's still cold. I'm up here at my parents right now. Horribly cold. I mean, tons of snow. Why on earth are we not in Florida or Arizona or whatever? Even the birds are smart enough to go south. Okay, I, I just don't get it. We got we got to smarten up a little bit. But uh, you know, congratulations to all the champions. Couple rumors. You know, I got to I hung around pretty much all night till about one in the morning. Talk racing. We could talk racing all day, every day. But we've been kind of wondering, where's Ricky? Right? Where's Ricky White? She got Florida Speed Week. She was over in Vado. Was it going to hurt him? What's the overall thoughts here? Is he is he really missing out? Well, let's just say that he wasn't just laying around on the couch eating Cheetos, okay? Um, from what I understand, they've been testing extensively and uh, are kind of pretty optimistic. Remember, they got a little bit quicker right at the end of Otto. They were right battling for some top fives here. They were pretty solid, and they've been testing quite a bit. So we'll see how that app uh, things open up i think he's starting maybe at atomic or smoky mountain i think maybe he's starting at and he's going to follow the xr series pretty much extensively this year so he said he wasn't going to follow the world of outlaw series but it looks like he is going to follow pretty much all of the xr series so that'll be quite interesting a little news there on ricky weiss um another thing bert <clears throat> four new late model teams up in uh, northern i guess northern wisconsin northern minnesota so you have the runner-up from last year in the Super Stocks. You got Kevin Burdick. He's waiting on his car from MB. He's going to be a rookie in the late model division. Dave Flynn, from what I understand, is on his way this week or next week down to Rocket to pick up a new car. Um, he won the, the Fastlane Super Stock Series last year. So that's two of the top Super Stock drivers in all of Wissota Racing that have made the transition to late model racing. I'm sure they'll both do well. And then another name, if you're from the Twin Ports, Lillo. 
there's like eight of them, right? There's all kinds of Lillos in the late model division. Um, from what I understand, Aaron Lillo's son is also going to try his stint in a late model. And then uh, Dean Maddell from up in northern Minnesota, he bought a used car. He's going to jump into the late model. So we're looking at this, Bert. You know, a couple of years ago, we're talking late model racing is kind of dying a little bit. But now I think it's going to be one of the highest car counts um, for Hibbing, Grand Rapids, Superior. I think, it's, I think they're going to do pretty well. Pretty excited about that. And uh, one thing I'm not excited about, though, Bert, tires. Have you heard anything on your end of the world over there, eastern Wisconsin? Have you talked to anybody about the tire situation over there? I haven't heard anything uh, on this side of the state. But, uh, I mean, you read stories and you hear things that um, tires and parts are um, going to be tough to start going to continue to be tough to come by this year i mean the fact that nascar teams are only taking one car to some races because they don't have enough parts to build a second car um that tells you how bad the situation is <laughs> yeah that that's exactly it. just tires it's everything and i was talking to a vendor and from his understanding is they're not even going to be able to get with soda tires until they're hoping knock on wood right hoping April 1st. Well, racing starts that week. Wissota racing starts that week. So now, number one is, are they going to get tires? Number two, how many are they going to get? Right? Number three, are the drivers going to actually have enough tires to be able to go race? I don't know this, right? I don't know the answer to them questions. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully everything works out. But I got a question, right? So I, I watched a couple of weeks back they had, I think it was the Working Man Nationals, I think they called it, over in Las Vegas, Barry Braun XR Series. They put kind of a three-night, I think it was three nights, they had Modifieds, Sport Mods, and Street Stocks. Now, what they did, though, Bert, is they, they basically opened up the rules. They said, if you have a USRA rules car, you're going to run American Racers, you're going to run your tires for your class. If you're IMCA, you're going to run your tires. If you're with Soda, you're going to run your tires. So they opened it up. And I don't, I don't know if there was any other rule changes. I didn't really look that closely, but I do know the tire situation. They basically said, Hey, we're going to open it up. Whatever class, whatever sanctioning body you run in, we're going to make it work. Come race with us. And I'll be honest, it was, it was pretty competitive. There's only a couple mod guys there, but the Midwest mods, it was IMCA guy. There was an IMCA guy that won a Wasota guy that won. Street Stocks, IMCA, and Wasota. I think there was an IMCA in the um, sport mods, maybe USRA, I'm not sure. But let's just say it was multiple sanctions. Is that something you think that the Wasota sanctioning body might have to look at for the 2022 season? If tires become a problem, are they going to have to open it up and say, look, you know, bring whatever you got for tires, you run them, we'll make it work. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, if if drivers are unable to get tires, um, they're going to have to change the rules in some way to allow other tires to be used. Um, you know, you want to you want to keep the the playing field level, obviously. So you know, they'll have to look at that, but. Um, if you want cars racing, they need tires. And if they can't get tire with soda tires, 
you're going to have to allow something else so they can race. Well, from what I understand, and, and another driver or whatever, if you've run multiple different, you know, tires, post in the comments. But I, I be, well, not I believe. I know for sure the Wissota Hoosier is far superior to the IMCA Hoosier. It ain't even right. Close, okay, it ain't even close. So Wissota should be looking at that and saying, look, we got some IMCA guys, and you know, the Brainerd area, I, you know, over by Fargo, Jamestown. If they want to run them tires, let them run them tires. They're at a disadvantage. If they want to come race, let them race. It's not like they're coming to steal money from somebody. The The American racers, it kind of depends who you talk to. I was told, and I don't know this for sure, that they have better forward traction with the American racers, but because of the sidewall construction, they have less side bite. And I was told the, the Wasota Hoosiers steer better but they might have overall more forward drive with the American racers. I don't know that to be 100% true. I haven't ran them, but you take a look at Wisconsin bird. You got you got Cedar Lake and you have Mississippi Thunder, which no disrespect to any of the other tracks over there in that area, but those are the two tracks. They're the two, that's the premier Friday track, the premier Saturday track. It just is what it is. They used to be Wasota. Unfortunately, they're not. They went a different direction. But there's drivers that like to race both places. I've seen drivers race at Mississippi Thunder that are Wasota guys. I've seen, you know, and vice versa. Is it would it be advantageous to say, look, you know, instead of not having cards, if some of them guys Cedar Lake rains out, they want to come to Rice Lake. Hey, come on, bring your stuff. Come on and play. I think this is. I really like what XR has done as far as saying we're going to bring all these sanctioning bodies together and we're going to make it so that all the mods can run. Cause I think his vision, and I have not spoke with Barry. I'd like, like to maybe get him on the show if we can and ask him this very question. But from what I see, Bert, his vision appears to be one unified set of rules in classes that are able to race all over the country, right? You look at modifieds, you got UMP, USMTS, USRA, IMCA, Wissota. You got all these different sanctioning bodies, all different rules packages. It's ridiculous. Could this be the start to a unified set of rules in the years to come for some of these classes? What's your thoughts? I mean, I, I guess it could be a start. Um, I mean, the type of tire that you use the race on some in some instances can have a bigger impact on whether you win or lose than than even an, a motor um i mean this is from this happened back in the in the 1990s so i'm not sure how the tires have changed since then but shano speedway actually held a special where they invited Wasota modified drivers to come race against the imca modified drivers at shano speedway and uh actually jerry Weagle, Weigel, uh, he won the feature that night, and Eddie Munster, who was a Shano regular, was second, and I uh, interviewed uh, Eddie Munster that night, and he said, I didn't get out-motored, I got out-tired, because the Wasota drivers had to use their tires, IMCA drivers had to use their tires, and the Wasota tires were superior to the IMCA tires, and uh, you know, Eddie Munster said that's what cost him the win, was, you know, he had inferior tires. So, so here's the solution to this whole deal. Get one set of tires, get just unify the dang rules already, right? 
you know, at the end of the day, we've been talking about this with weight models. You look over at, at South Dakota, here on South Dakota, Dakota State Fair Speedway, Orv has been a big Wissota guy forever. Whatever happened, both of his, he, all of his shows, there's no challenge series. They're having Tri-State. Tri-State has that going on, kind of like the Dirt Kings, where if you have an open motor, a crate, a spec motor, they'll kind of make something work. I tell you what, it's time to make that happen. If I was in a position as far as rules go, I'd be, I'd be trying to talk to Brett Root, Todd Staley, um, Driggers, all these different guys and say, look, we got to make some changes here. Let's get on the same page because we can't operate out of fear, right? I know for far too long, Wasoda operated out of fear going, man, you know, if, we, if we're on the same rules as USRA, we're going to lose cars. They got to start looking at it as, no, if we're on the same rules as USRA or IMCA, we could gain cards, right? Instead of looking at it the other way around. So I kind of like what Barry's got going on there. Pretty interested to see how that moves forward. But what do you say we get into a blast to the past brought to you by Brad Parson. Now, farmers, okay? If you, this is the time of year. Farmers you know, probably already kind of getting to that point where you need to kind of have your ducks in a row. We're already into February. So get a hold of Brad. He, he does soil health and fertilizer efficiency. He can help you save money and increase yields. Over a 15-year track record in the Dakotas and Minnesota. And I tell you what, he's a racer. If you're listening to this, you're a race fan. Get a hold of him because if you're not using his products to better yours, somebody in your area probably is. So get a hold of Brad Parson. But Bert, episode number 117. Do you have any 117s? Actually, I just thought of one. Uh, from It's actually an ice racer. <laughs> nice. Nice. Um, uh, raced at, um, on Shawano Lake uh, back when I covered uh, the Fire on Ice Ice Racing Club. Um, Ward Peterson Sr., he was number 117. So uh, uh, that one just popped into my mind. That's the only 117 I have. <laughs> nice, nice. So I got three. I got three 117s. The first one I have is Mark Trember, fan of the show, been involved with racing, used to build turbine chassis. He ran a, I think it was called a mini stock back then, uh, front wheel drive, or I think it was front wheel drive, maybe rear wheel drive. I don't even know. I should know this. Some car guy I am, but he ran a Pinto, needless to say. And he was 117 until the promoter at the Grand Rapids Speedway at the time said, we don't allow three-digit numbers. So he had to change to number 11, but he was number 117. And then I have Todd Kittner. Now his son, Tyler Kittner, won a pile of features. He was a champion at the Grand Rapids Speedway. Got to honor him this weekend. But Todd actually was running a, a hobby stock slash thunder car. Kelly Esty. This is a story I got. So Kelly, if you're watching this, you're going to have to correct us if we're, if we're wrong here. But Kelly was running for track points. And I don't know if he wrecked his car, blew his engine, but he borrowed the car from Todd. Todd ran the car, or he ran the car then most of the rest of the end of the season until right at the very end, he gave the car back with a blown motor is what I was told. So he blew up the motor, then gave the car back, all right? So, Kelly, come on, you're killing me. So he gives the car back, and they, they kind of blacked it out, I think, and he came out with the 117. Typically, he was 22, I had no idea. I never heard that story. I got it from uh, Lem there. He got it over to me. So Todd Kittner, and then a couple of years back, the Hibbing Raceway brought the mini stocks in, or I guess it would be the Wasota Hornets. 
and a guy, I, honestly, I don't know where this guy's from, Snurt Thundercloud came in. And really, he had the hands car pretty much dominated in the Hornet division and fan favorite. He had shirts. And I remember I was in, doing the Victory Lane interviews at the Labor Day shootout, and I could literally hear them across the track going, na, 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 thunder. And they were like chanting it and all that. And I might know a little bit more on who that is, but Snurt Thundercloud is a guy that needs to come back racing because it created some electricity in the class. It created a following, really a cool thing. And Bert, the story there is, uh, is Lamb actually kind of brought on that persona. And I tell you what, it was probably one of the biggest marketing things that they had going at the Hibbing Raceway for the year. I mean, it was super cool. The kids, the fans, everybody loved it. We need to do more, a lot more of that kind of stuff. Now, let's get into number 17, okay? And I'm going to be completely honest with you. I got, I got a few of them here, okay? But when I think 17, there is one person that comes to mind. And I'm going to late model guy, ran at the Cedar Lake Speedway. This guy here, he also ran, incidentally, a number 21. Um, I guess it would have been the hobby stock slash super stock division, modifieds, wing modifieds. But he won Labor Day shootouts in 86, 91, 93, 95, 98, and 02. And uh, I tell you what, one of the most dominant feared late model drivers in our region for a long time. Can you guess it? Yes, Rick Eggersdorf. <laughs> he is the man. I tell you what, this is this is one of the guys. Do you have any Rick Eggersdorf stories? I got a couple. I got a couple good Rick Eggersdorf stories, and I would love to interview him at some time to confirm one of these. But anything stick out to you? That guy, I tell you what, he was unbelievably fast, especially at Cedar Lake, but everywhere, really. Um, I, do, I don't have any stories. Uh, he finished second at the first ever Punky Manor that I attended. Uh, MJ McBride finished third, I believe, and then uh, Eggersdorf was... Uh, second and uh Krasinski was uh first um but a little bit of trivia um Rick Eggersdorf won a world of outlaws feature at Shano Speedway in 1989 really yes I had no <laughs> idea interesting interesting I tell you what that guy could flat out wheel a car now folklore says here's a couple of stories folklore says that they used to get to the Cedar Lake Speedway early, right? And they used to have a bag with, I believe, ping pong balls in it that had numbers on it. And then you just reach in, you grab the ping pong ball, and there's your number, and that's what you drew. Folklore says that he may or may not, his pit crew or car owners or whoever it was at the time, brought their own ball, reached in the bag with a ball in their hand, brought it out, they said, here you go. And they said, yeah, no, I don't think so. Grab another one. And they either painted the balls or changed them a different color or whatever. They got caught. So that was kind of an interesting story. Another story I have on, and I'm going to have to confirm this, you know, but this is folklore right here, Labor Day shootout. So the Hibbing Raceway, they got, they got three sections of grandstands. And in the center section, they got a huge stage in the front where they, you know, as a kid, we used to go to an intermission, run around with the other kids. They've done different stuff. That's where they do the redraw for specials and stuff like that. But underneath it, there was a doorway. And the folklore says he was leading the Labor Day shootout along with caution. Uncle the Red came out. 
He called over Don Hank. He says, Don, can I, I got to take a piss. Got out of his car, ran underneath the stage, took a leak, came back out, got in his car, wins the Labor Day shootout. And I'm like, really? So I, I believe that to be true. But uh, my favorite, I guess, my favorite race with him is I started, I think I started 12th over at the Cedar Lake Speedway, 2003 Tony Stewart night at the Cedar Lake Speedway. Now, did you go to that? No, I didn't go to it. So Stewart started 14th, 15th. And coming down, I guess, right to the end, well, first of all, with like three laps to go, I think it was three laps to go or two laps to go, um, I was side by side with Stewart. We were running, I believe, fourth and fifth at the time. Mike, Mike Hessling crossed it up, and Stewart crossed it up. I got into Stewart. Stewart's done. I got my spot back, Hessling to the back, which he was lapped. And, and Stewart's out on the track giving him one of these deals and threw his glove at him, <laughs> and he's flipping out. But then in that race, I got by um, Jerry Radetzky for third, and I, I think there was a yellow then right after that with two to go, and Pat Doerr was leading. Pat Doerr was leading. Uh, Rick Eggersdorf was second. I was third. Eggersdorf's charging the high side like he always did at the Cedar Lake Speedway. Pat Doerr was running the bottom, and I was in third and came in. Um, Doerr got the lead coming off of two. Came into three and four, door overshot the bottom, slid up. I got underneath door. Eggersdorf went to the outside. We're three wide at the line. I'll post a picture on here so you can see the picture. But we were literally three wide at the line. And freaking Eggersdorf beat me by like a nose piece. And it, I mean, it was literally my favorite ever race in a late model. And I got second, started in the sixth row. But to be in a three-way battle for the lead on Tony Stewart night, packed house with both Rick Eggersdorf and Pat Doerr, that was unbelievably awesome. And actually that picture, I believe, was in Circle Track or Stock Car Magazine. There was a picture in there and stuff of us three wide. I'm not sure if Zimmy maybe took that picture, but a lot of great memories, memories there with Rick Eggersdorf. Now, I got another one here. This guy, some of these guys, if Puka was on here, he would know, but it's hockey season. So I get it, all right? <laughs> so... Kelly Lake. Okay, this guy here, um, he started out in the hobby stocks, mostly was number 71. He won the first two ever with Soda Superstock National Championships. But the year before that, Bert, he was in a Superstock, but they weren't yet with Soda. He was number 17. He went on to win Labor Day shootouts in the Super and in the late model, had a little stint in ASA. And uh, incredible race car driver. His son won a couple late model features in Grand Rapids this year. Pete Wallers. Remember that name? Yes, I do yep. remember that name. So, Bert, he was number 17 because that year my dad was 71. Pete actually built his car at my dad's house. He worked on it at my dad's house in the other stall. And he's like, well, I'll take 17. Pete had been 71. And then the following year, my dad says, you know what? I'm, not, I'm only racing another year or two. I know 71 is your number, Pete. You take 71 back. My dad switched back to 17. And my dad had been 17 years before. And I believe I believe this to be his favorite six-cylinder. Um, he was number 17 with John Samuelson. And uh, that was probably the best year he had in the six-cylinder. So my dad was 17, Pete Wallers. And then there's another guy from Kelly Lake, lives in Hibbing. He, he is pitted for Prom, Provenzino over the years. But Danny Pierce, 
There's another guy from northern Minnesota. He ran a hobby stock, jumped into a modified, ran a little bit in a super, but he actually won the 2002 kind of an upset. Wasn't expected to win the Labor Day shootout in a modified. So Danny Pierce, a guy that uh, he's still been around racing, but not like he used to. And then we were talking about Lem earlier, one of Lem's favorite drivers of all time. Him and his brother both have Labor Day shootout wins. The 1990. 1979, excuse me, Labor Day shootout. First ever Labor Day shootout, first ever Superstock winner, Gary Grierson. Now there's a guy, them two, Gary Grierson, his brother Bruce, incredible race car drivers back in the day. But uh, Gary, I remember Orange number 17, really, really fun to watch, one of the best drivers out there. And then a Hall of Famer over at the Hibbing Raceway, Roger Carlson. Have you heard that name, Bert? No, I haven't. I believe he won. I'm not sure if he won down at the state fair, but he's won all over the place. Back in the day, he flagged, he operated the grader, he was on the board, but Roger Carlson, a big name around Hibbing. And then modified guy. <clears throat> I know you don't know much about modified guys, but he ran some USMTS stuff. And I feel like he was on, whatever, what was that show called that they had in the USMTS series? They had, they were following some of the mod drivers. Remember that? Corey Drips was a the guy they followed. So, out. Um, Dirt Knights, is that what it was? Dirt Knights, yes. Dirt yes. Knights. So, I go down to the Deer Creek Speedway. This guy's from Bemidji. I'm telling you, Bert, he had super sharp looking race cars for a long time. I mean, chromed out everything, right? And I'm, I'm walking through, I was racing down, I believe it was, must have been like 08-ish, somewhere in that neighborhood, down at Deer Creek at the Fall Jamboree. Races are done. I'm walking through the pits, bonfire, music playing. They're burning couches. I mean, you, I mean, anything that could burn, they're throwing in the fire. None other than Mike Spaulding. You remember that name? The last name sounds familiar. Yeah, over from Bemidji. No, it didn't win a ton in the USMTS. I don't know if he won. I don't know if he has a USMTS win. I'm assuming he does. But from Bemidji, won a bunch of races over there. And then uh, I got a handful more here. So a guy that I used to race against, story I have about him, he ain't going to like this one. I know he listens once in a while. But Stevie Thomas, the T-17, not really racing much anymore from the Menominee area. I think it's from Menominee, but Labor Day shootout. I was always kind of my bread and butter for super stocks. Like I, that was the number one thing I was focused on was winning Labor Day. He just about ended my whole weekend because he spun out in front of me in hot laps. And I, I, I missed him, but I'm like, T-17, come on, what are you doing, man? He's like, I know, I know. And uh, it used to be a dust bowl. Burt, hot laps used to be so dusty at the Labor Day shootout that you couldn't even see across the racetrack. It was, it was dumb of me to even be out there. Um, another guy, um, his kid, actually this year, Caden Blazer, 13 or 14 years old, Won a handful of Midwest Mod races. Kind of fun to see that up-and-comer. We've talked about Kennedy Swan, right? Now, this Caden Blazer is kind of races the same tracks that she does. Uh, Rice Lake, he does run up at Jim Falls. But his dad, Todd Blazer, he was really good back in the day. Number 17, I remember him from the Cedar Lake Speedway because he had flames on his car at the 100. Kind of a stunt man. I think he's done some monster truck stuff. But Todd Blazer, an old legend from back in the day, late model guy. Para wins at Speed Weeks. The Mac Daddy. Oh, 
Yeah. Come on. Come on. It's not that long. It's a deal. <laughs> if you're a late model guy, you think 17, Eggersdorf's one, Dale McDowell, he's still doing it, of course, but he's another one. So have you heard the name Jamie Lemke? Yes. Central Minnesota guy. I think he was from Litchfield, maybe Grove City, somewhere in that area. Um, he ran a modified for a number of years, ran, I think, around Wilmer, Grove Creek. I remember him winning races over at the Cedar Lake Speedway. Um, hasn't done it for a while, but Jamie Lemke was a 17. We're at Wilmer, uh, Wilmer won like KRA Speedway, Central Minnesota, in the modified. And him and I swapped sliders probably five, six times. It felt like 25 times, but we swapped sliders for the lead. And we come around, no white flag, no nothing, right? And they come around, they throw the checker. I'm like, where the hell was the white? Because I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, I just got robbed. I don't know if I would have won. It was a fun race with Lemke. So Bert, we pull in the pits. And uh, they're like, everybody get to your trailers. And we're like, I'm going to scale? Like, am I missing something here? Like, what the hell's going on? And they're like, get to your trailers, get to your trailers. Tornado just barely missed the racetrack, just north of the track. And uh, that ended the feature prematurely. Had a hell of a race there with Lemke. But I remember they sent us back to the trailer. I'm like, what is going on? And uh, I'm like, I think I'd be better off sitting in the car with my helmet on, right? I'm a, I'll just stay in the car. You know, if a tornado's going by, I feel like I'm pretty safe in my race car. But uh, it was a panic-stricken night right there. Jamie Lemke, a good one. We have another guy. We So we talked about, uh, you know, Jay Schmidt, real estate. We'll talk about him later in the show. His dad, Big Al Schmidt. He sent me a text. He goes, hey, I got one for you. Number 17, Tony Daly. Now, Daly, there's there's multiple dailies out in South Dakota. I think I think a group of them, I don't know if they're related, sponsor Cole Searing, sponsor a bunch of drivers. I believe his kids race. But Tony Daly, he ran in the late models over there in South Dakota. And then I'm going to give you one quiz here. And then I got one last one. I want you to name three NASCAR related number 17s. Matt Kenseth, Daryl Waltrip, and I'm gonna go now. No, David no. David Pearson. Ooh, all right, that's a good one. <laughs> How about this, Ralph Earnhardt? He had a number seventeen. I'm like, I was a big Earnhardt guy. Who was your guy growing up NASCAR? I mean, who was your driver? Rusty Wallace. Rusty. Yeah. So. I was a Dale Earnhardt guy. I was kind of thumbing through things. I'm like, Ralph Earnhardt was in a 17. I didn't know that. I don't know if it was a very long period of time, but I got a picture of that up here. And then uh, our sprint car expert, who's kind of been incognito here for a little while, the one and only Keith Erickson. So Keith actually um, ran not them, them winged, I guess, go-karts, they call them, whatever they, the winged go-karts. He ran them. He had a pair of them, number 17E. And uh, rumor has it that we might have a Keith Erickson sighting yet this year. Kind of interested to see that. Bert, do you have anything to add there on the number 17s? Uh, I have a few of them. Um, one is uh, Josh Mesh. He raced, he started in sport mods and then he raced late models for a couple of years. Um, he was. Uh, a low buck driver, but he has a late model feature win at Shano Speedway. 
and uh, he held off uh, Terry Avalink throughout much of the race. Terry was right on his right on his tail throughout most of the race, but he held him off, uh, which is uh, quite an accomplishment for a young driver. Um, and then another one is Cody Grosskreitz. He started racing in the fast track late model division at Shano Speedway, uh, moved up to the uh, upper late model division. And when he moved up to the late model division, um, that's when the track in Arcadia was still open. And uh, so several drivers from Eastern Wisconsin went and raced there for a special at the end of the year. And Friday night got rained out. Saturday night, they got part of the show in, but it rained throughout the evening. So then it was a Sunday afternoon show. And uh, in hot laps uh, in the daytime, uh, he flipped his car down the backstretch at Arcadia. <laughs> so that was like his introduction into late model racing. Wow. Um, and Arcadia was a fast track. It wasn't as big, of course, as, as Shano's half mile, but that was a pretty big racetrack, the old Fox right. Speedway. And then my final one is um, a little a question for you. I'll see how well you know stuff. Um the first female to win a World of Outlaws sanctioned race. Late models? Yes. At least it, it's on the back of her hotshot that she's the first female to win a World of Outlaws sanctioned race. It, I don't believe it's a feature because I checked the all-time feature list and she's not listed. So I'm thinking it's probably a heat race or, it's, or a concy. Where's she from? The Milwaukee area. Really? Um, she still live over there? Or did she moved down to Iowa? No. Well, I, I, I don't think she's moved to Iowa. <laughs> you got me. Okay. Uh, Cindy Peterson. I don't uh, know that name. Okay. She started racing at Hales Corners in the 1980s. And then in the mid to late 80s, she raced at Shano Speedway weekly for several years. Um, and then after that, she switched to asphalt late models. And I believe she has one start in the NASCAR truck series. That, that's interesting trivia right there, because I had absolutely no clue. That, that's kind of a fun one right there. So you got a picture of her, of course? Yeah, I have a couple of hot shots of, okay. of her. Awesome. So... I tell you what, we had a pile of 17s, right? So it's always kind of fun bringing back that blast to the past, you know, kind of chatting about some of those. What do you say we get into this past week's racing? Um, a little bit of a, a recap of this last week brought to you by Impact Health Sharing. You know, business owners, farmers, racers, if, if you got to pay for your own health care, if you're paying out of pocket, chances are you're probably paying too much. Get a hold of me, shoot me a text, shoot me a message. I'll get you a quote. It just takes a couple minutes. See if we can help you out. See if we can help you save some money and have some more money to put into your race program rather than into the insurance person's pocket. So let's start. Uh, let's start with some late models. Um, they they finally closed up the books here on the Florida Georgia Speed Weeks. They had, I guess, they would have they had seven feature races at the Volusia Speedway Park for the late models because the uh, one night at the Sunshine Nationals, of course, rained out. What stuck out to you from, first of all, from Volusia, from the, from the seven events down at the Volusia Speedway? 
Um, the fact that they had no repeat winners. I mean, they had seven races and seven winners. And, uh, you know, Ryan Gustin. Can you name them? Can you name them? I can't name all of them. I have one, two, three, four, five. I have six of them written down. All right. Who do you got? Uh, Ricky Thornton Jr., uh, Brandon Overton, Ryan Gustin, uh, Chris Madden, Dale McDowell, and Dennis Erb. And and Air Force Ashton Winger won the makeup feature. Oh, okay. That, that's so the, that that's is crazy, right? Seven feature winners in seven races. I, I don't think anybody could have picked that because Bishop had three alone over at East Bay, but uh, seven different winners. And I guess if you count the original feature um, from the Sunshine Nationals, McDowell won that one. So out of all the feature races at Volusia, Mac Daddy, the only one to double up. Yeah, and, you know, and the fact that Ryan Gustin, uh, Ashton Winger, you know, some drivers that you don't necessarily see in victory lane all the time. So, um, you know, it's good to see them in victory lane. And uh, Devin Moran, you know, didn't get any victories down there, but he still had some really good finishes. Let's talk a little bit about Devin Moran because he won the big gator, right? That the six nights at the last swing at Belusa, those six nights, they had their own mini point uh, point series. The first two nights were Dirt Car. The next four nights were World of Outlaws, but they mixed all six together. And Moran won the Big Gator by one point, one over Chris Madden. So Moran, who'd been super aggressive most of the time, really, they got a, the, the track was good, except for really the last two nights. The last night was just horrible. It just locked down. And I think everybody down there was like, let's just get this stupid thing done and get out of here. We've had enough, but it was locked down. And do you think, do you think if uh, he was ahead by more that he might've tried to get a little bit more aggressive to get up into the top five? Or do you think he was counting cars and saying, no, 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 I, I can't afford to lose one spot or it's over. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I mean, if the track was locked down, chances are he was counting cars and kind of knew where he needed to be. And once he was in that spot, just, okay, we'll just ride this out. If, if anybody's going to pass me, they're going to have to pass me. <laughs> so Moran over all of speed weeks down there. I mean, unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Just looking at a couple stats here, Bert, from all of speed weeks, b had the most wins. He had four. Moran and Overton each had three wins in speed weeks. And I'm talking everything from East Bay to Alltech to, you know, Golden Isles and, and everything in between. But when you look at the top money earners, Devin Moran, 92,200. Second was Bishop at 71,000. And third was Overton at 56,000. So Moran, not, not double but almost doubled what Overton had down there. I mean, he was unbelievably consistent, seven second-place finishes. The question I have, so big news out of the Moran camp, who the beginning of the year, probably the top driver as far as consistency in, in dirt late model racing, his brother Wiley Moran has decided that he's stepping away. He's still going to have a little bit of a role, going to help him at the shop from time to time but he's not going to be his right-hand man traveling with him everywhere, okay? Now, I have a little bit to say on that, but as a fan on the outside looking in, 
what kind of an impact is that going to have on Devin Moran's the remainder of his season? I mean, it could have a huge impact. I mean, um, depending on how involved he was in making the decision at decisions as to what to do with the car setup wise. I mean, if he had major input and um, made a lot of the decisions, uh, it could have a huge impact because uh, you won't have him to rely on. You know, and there's that chemistry, right? I mean, I won multiple national championships in a Wasota Superstock, which isn't the same page as a World of Outlaw Lucas Oil late model, okay? But regionally, it was, you know, to me at the time, was a big deal. But I had a right-hand man, right? You know, my buddy Changa, Jim, he was there with me through all of my championship years. And, and being able to come in and we'd argue, right? Because I'd be like, I feel the car's doing this. He's like, you're an idiot. It's not doing that. The car's <laughs> doing this. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm in it. He's like, watch the tape. I'm like, all right, fair enough. You're right. You know, and we had a lot of that. But, you know, given, you know, given the stick signals and, and really being able to make last minute decisions, somebody I could count on if I needed something changed right away, you know, before going out for the feature and last minute type stuff, you know, that chemistry was, was huge. And then when, when he kind of stepped away, I, I, I had some good pit guys along the way, but it was just different because the one guy I had that was kind of, you know, the, the main pit guy I had was gone. And, you know, them two, I'm guessing, have been together forever because they're brothers, you know, of course, Donnie Brand, then you got the kids. I, I'm going to be really interested to see, Bert, what that does moving forward because I, I don't think people understand how big of a deal that really is. So I agree. I agree. I got a question for you. Who looked the best? So there's some young guys down there. And I mean, when we're talking young guys, I mean, we could be talking Moran, right? We could be talking. Hudson O'Neill struggled. He, he kind of, he did not look good at speed. It's awfully disappointing. But as far as some of the newer faces that, that come in, somebody that wasn't already a, a winning name, who, were some, who stuck out to you down at Speed Weeks as far as uh, young guns? Well, the name I heard the most was Kyle Hammer, um, that he seems to be getting a lot of buzz right now um, for the driver that could do the best this season young young he rookie driver he qual that's why i had to he qualifies well like he started in the front couple rows almost every night at Borussia. like he qualifies really good right and and we know how big of a deal that is in dirt late model racing because if you don't qualify good and you're going to start fourth fifth row in that field of cars you might as well go home because you ain't making the show right i mean there's provisionals but he qualified really well, raced his way in, had to use some provisionals as well, and, and led the lion's share. I don't know if it was the second to last night or third to last night, but one of those shows, he led the majority of the race, and there was a miscommunication, right? We're talking about the chemistry between um, Devin and Wiley. Evidently, Dad was giving him signals and saying, um, you know, hey, I want you to do this. He misread the signals. He changed his line. He went straight backwards ended up is ended up getting spun out somehow that did not go well right so the chemistry wasn't there inexperienced but he did round uh he capped it off with a top five he got fifth on the final night down there actually i think he started fourth fifth row so he passed a couple cars to get up into fifth so um pretty interested to see he's going to follow the world of outlaw series great way to cap it off for kyle hammer um anything else as far as the late models go 
that stuck out to you at the Florida Georgia Speed Weeks down there? Um, I mean, I was surprised after his showing the previous week. I was surprised that Bishop didn't uh, get into victory lane. <laughs> yeah, he he kind of faded a little bit. He he did not look as good at Volusia. He looked really good at East Bay, and then just Volusia was not very good to him. Um, let's switch it over to Mods because. And this kind, of, this kind of came up last minute. I was looking at Facebook, and, and I, I was looking through, just scrolling the page, right? And all of a sudden, a modified pops up, right? Lethal modified. $72,000. Ain't been raced yet. And, and that's what it costs. It's not like he's posting a bad price or whatever. That's what it costs. $72,000, turnkey, take it home, go race it. For a modified, okay? Now, I was looking, so I was looking at that. I'm thinking in my mind, 72. No wonder there's six cars at every track, right? For modifieds, like who the hell can do that? But then I got to thinking, I, I was looking back and I'm thinking, okay, Volusia paid 10 grand, 12 grand to win, somewhere in that neighborhood. They paid less, of course, for the dirt car nights. And then I looked at the mods. Did you see what they paid to win for the modifieds at Volusia? No, I did not. Okay, so the final night was the finale for the Big Gator. That one was 5000 to win. That's a pretty good pay. Okay. The rest of the features, what do you think they paid to win? 2000 No. 1000 No. 500 Between Some of them paid 600 Some of them paid 700 To win. It was like 350 per second. Bert, they had a hundred and seven modifiers. Uh-huh. Now their their week was terrible a couple weeks ago. A hundred and seven modifiers. So okay, racers. Okay. I'm talking to you. I was talking to you. Y'all need to quit being a bunch of dumbasses. Okay. Plain and simple. Because they're the first ones to cry and whine. I know, because I did it. I did it. I'm not calling you out. I'm, I did it too. But they cry and whine about the purse. Oh, they ain't paying us enough money. 700 to win and 107 of you idiots show up to Volusia? Are you out of your mind? Like, I, why would you do that? That's, that is, Mississippi Thunder pays more than that on a regular freaking night. Unbelievable. So I had people going, well, they need to pay more at Volusia. Why? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They already get 107. They don't need to pay anymore. You want them to pay more? Quit going. Quit going. I was talking, I asked Brent Larson that very question about the uh, first couple nights of the late box, right? The first two nights were dirt car. And then the next four were World of Outlaws and the dirt car pay was terrible. It was like 500 all the way up to like 12. It was terrible, right? As compared to the World of Outlaws pay. I'm like, why on earth do all of you even race that? Why? Like, why? Because you notice some of them didn't, right? Some of them kept the car in the trailer till the World of Outlaw races. Why would they even do that? So racers, if you want to get paid more money, you can't, you just, you can't do that. You can't go no different than going to the Wild West shootout with a sport mod, with a B mod and an A mod. They pay nothing. Now, if you're okay with that, I'm, that's perfectly fine. But don't complain about the pay at your local track all year long and then go support that. That, that just don't fly. 
You know, you see people pulling in with stacker trailers and $75,000 race cars, and they're mad that they don't pay enough. You just got done buying two freaking houses and <laughs> turned it into a race car. You got to quit worrying about the pay because obviously racers kind of have some kind of a mental block when it comes to numbers. It just is what it is. So I, I found that kind of interesting. Another thing that stuck out. So in this whole deal, um, XR made another announcement. I mean, they have been Barry's been aggressive, right? There's no doubt he has been on the chip. In 2023, Bert, XR is going to bookend Speed Weeks. The week before Speed Weeks, I think right after the Sunshine Nationals, kind of in between there, they're having like a four or five night swing in Vegas. And then right after Speed Weeks, and I believe that race actually is the, that weekend, um, the first weekend, I believe is right after um, Vado. I think it's right after that. So I think he's hoping to get cars from Vado to go to directly up to Vegas, as I, I believe. But they're going to bookend it. So on the front side of Speed Weeks and on the back side of Speed Weeks, they're going to have a four or five night swing on either end of that. Uh, what is your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it all sounds great. Uh, you know, all the, you know, more racing. But um, I don't know if drivers can afford to race that, I mean, they're going to be picking and choosing where they're racing, when they're racing. So people who go to speed weeks expecting to see, you know, these drivers may not see these drivers because maybe they're going to, you know, and it, it's just a lot. They already complained that there's no off season. And now, I mean, there really is no off season. <laughs> No, there's not because there's racing all the way through December. You got a couple weeks off in there, but man, I tell you what, most people need that little bit of a regroup time. I don't know. I, I'm interested. I don't know how it's going to work out. I mean, it's not directly right on top of anything. I don't think, um, but you know, I, I watched uh, the ride home during speed weeks and I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I do, you know, you get Rigsby and Ben Shelton and D Suave and them guys just, kind of driving home after the races and the final one if you haven't watched this go to dirt on dirt on facebook and and watch the final ride home and you'll see what i'm talking about so rigsby commented on there about he goes i'm an institution guy i i believe anything that we're doing we want to complement the world of outlaws and lucas oil and he went and he started throwing roundhouses saying you know we're not we're not like some people you know, scheduling on top of other races, we're scheduling to compliment them. Did you take that maybe as shots fired at XR? Um, yeah, that it could be interpreted that way. And I, I'm not sure if you caught his other comments. He made the comment that um, he believes the World of Outlaws and Lucas still have some ammunition in their arsenal. Um, so you know, I took that as a direct thing towards XR also. Yeah, like they're keeping it close. They sound like it's going to be coming out in the next week or two here, but uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And, and let's be honest. So um, part of me is like, what is this guy freaking doing, right? Like you're, you're, we don't need more. You're scheduling on top of this stuff. Like, what is he doing, right? 
But then the other side of me is like, maybe shit needs to be shaken up. You know, maybe that needs to happen. It's not always bad to kind of rock the boat a little bit. I probably, I kind of like that a little bit. I might've done that a time or two myself. So it, it, there's kind of both sides to this. I mean, there's, you know, there's respecting the institutions that are there. There's rocking the boat, implementing change, bringing more money to the table, forcing the hands of other series to put more money at things. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it works out, but there's no shortage of big paying shows. I can tell you that. I mean, I agree with that. I mean, my fear is I just don't think financially all these big shows is sustainable uh, for long term. Right, right. You know, you look at it, right? I mean, Mississippi Thunder, they, they did you see that they bounced theirs up? Yeah. It's going to be 50,000 to win. You know, they're looking at it, and I, and I believe they're against they're against somebody that weekend. I don't remember. Batesville maybe has a big show. Somebody else has a big show that weekend. I'm not sure who. But the fact is, you start looking at this, and the ones that are going to struggle are the areas that don't have a big following that are paying that regular 10, regular 10,000 right. a win show, right? 10,000 a win used to be a big deal. Now you look at people's schedules out there, like Bobby Pierce put his schedule out. Ricky Weiss put his schedule out. Fergie put his schedule out. And you look at the paydays on these schedules and like the lowest paydays, 10, grand. you know, they're all 15, 20, 25, 50, 75, 100. Now they're going, I'm going to freaking unload my car for 10 grand to win. Why would I do that? And, and uh, they've kind of forced the hands and the, the smaller tracks. I think what's going to happen here, Bert, is the smaller tracks, the club run type tracks, the ones that don't have a lot of backing, they just aren't going to be able to do it. It's just, it's just not going to be an option there, which in all honesty is maybe a little bit of a blessing because some of these smaller tracks, instead of looking that way at a big home run, maybe they'll decide, hey, we got to put a more focus. We have a local racing deal. Let's focus on that weekly program, grassroots type stuff. The other tracks can have the big races. And I get it. I mean, I was involved with him and Grand Rapids. We like to have some of the big shows too, but financially, it just it just don't make sense to do that anymore. So it's going to be interesting. Um, we have a little bit of a break here with late model racing. But uh, we're going to see the gloves come off here in the not-so-distant future. Um, Barry Braun, I, I tell you what, he's not letting up anytime soon. We'll see what happens between XR, Castro Flow Racing Night in America, Lucas Oil, World of Outlaws, um, non-sanctioned stuff. Then you got stuff like the Mars Series, the Hell Tour, all that. Oh, man, if I was Tony Izzo, I think I'd take the Hell Tour or the, the Mars Series and be like, you know what, we're out. <laughs> we're we're, we're just like, we, we don't need to get involved with that. There's too much. I mean, do you think the Mars series is something that could probably just go away? Well, I mean, I, I think he definitely needs to uh, gear it toward, I mean, he needs to find a niche for it because, yeah, he can't compete with, with the big series. I mean, actually, Seymour's or out of gaming Speedway in Seymour, Wisconsin, in Eastern Wisconsin, uh, they have a Mars race on their schedule. So I'm curious because they had world of outlaws the last two years, but they don't have a world of outlaw race. They have a Mars race instead this year. You know, I'm not sure how many, I'm not sure how many people are going to travel up 
to Seymour to race in it or if it's just going to be the local Dirt King drivers racing against each other. I can see maybe that Jamie Zidar making the trip. I don't know. I think he's from that area somewhere anyway. Um, Northern Illinois, maybe. You might see a few of them, uh, you know, maybe Spatola, some of them type of guys that run a little bit of the health tour type stuff. Maybe they'll make the trip. It'll be interesting. Time will tell. Well, let's get into Bert. You know, any any closing thoughts on on Speed Weeks, anything like that before we jump on over? No, I think we we covered it pretty pretty well. So we've had a little bit of racing in the books, okay? So think back from all the way from Vado through Speed Weeks. Let's talk a little bit about who's hot and who's not. Brought to you by Blue Line Brews, and uh, this is time of year. It is freaking cold in northern Minnesota, right? Get yourself a cup of coffee. Do you want coffee? Go to bluelinebrews.com because they support us, but they also, more importantly, support the people that support us, right? So a certain amount of proceeds from that go to the families of injured and fallen officers. You know, a great cause, right? They got a great coffee. They got multiple times. They have their K-cups out there. Get a hold of them, bluelinebrews.com. Order yourself some some nice hot java to get through these winter days and keep yourself up on uh, up on top, revving the chip where you need to be. So, Bert, who do you got? Who's hot? Well, I mean, if you're looking at Speed Weeks overall, I would say uh, Devin Moran, uh, Brandon Shepard, and then I'm going to go with Dennis Erb also because he actually has two wins already on the year. <laughs> Bert, are you reading my notes? <laughs> I mean, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of racing, so it's not going to be a big influx, but I, that's who I had on my list. First of all, I had Dennis Erb Jr. Okay, the obvious one's Devin Martin, hottest dirt late model driver in America, $92,000 in earnings. That's $21,000 more than Brandon Shepard had, who was in second and almost doubled up on third. Um, seven second place finishes for him down there. What did he have? Three wins, I believe, for Moran. Did he have three wins? Is that what he had? I think he had three wins. Um, yeah, he had like he had like eighteen second place finishes. Yeah, yeah, seven <laughs> second place finishes, and he won the big Gator. But Dennis Herb Jr. is a guy that that might have been his best speed weeks that he's had. A pair of wins down there, which was impressive. But I was looking at his results, and not a lot of podiums. He wasn't like the guy that was battling for the win every night. But big car counts down there, and he was around that 7th to 12th every night. Super consistent with a stout field of cars down there. Um, I'm not saying he has no budget because they got some money behind him, but, you know, the one-man band, him and Heather, they put together a great speed weeks. Maybe that could carry some momentum. And uh, who do you have as far as who's not? Um, I only wrote one driver down. Um after a great Wild West shootout, um, Mike Marlar just had a horrific speed weeks. I mean, you never even really heard his name mentioned at all. Yeah, he was, he struggled. He absolutely struggled. Um, so you know who I have, Bert? Somebody that had a change of scenery last year, um, jumped in um, Boom Briggs's car in Vegas, and he has been terrible. Josh Richards. He has been horrible. Um, in fact, he was so bad, he didn't even freaking race half the shows down there. They just kept in the trailer. 
burnt up a hauler, right? So they had that problem, or not a hauler, but their camper. Camper. They got out of that. But in uh, a 14 races, zero top fives, and only three of them in the top 10. And he had three nights where he didn't even qualify to make the feature, right? So, I mean, Josh Richards looked terrible, but there's one other guy that looked really, really bad at, at Volusia, Turbo. I think he had three nights where he didn't make the show at Volusia. He didn't race the first night. I think he ran the second night, but he was absolute, like, garbage down there. So I'm telling you, I'm, the track I thought was pretty good. The last couple nights, not so good, but it was pretty racy other than that. But Josh Richards and Turbo, neither one of them looked good. But Josh Richards and Boom Briggs, I'm telling you, are, I don't know what the deal is. I mean, they're not even remotely competitive. They're not even... I mean, it's like they're playing checkers and everyone else is playing chess. Is, is there any hope for either one of those two? And, and I'm not going to talk about Boom. <laughs> nothing against Boom, but he's not. I wouldn't consider him an upper echelon. Well, I, I, was, I was just going to say, I mean, Boom has never really been that great yeah. to begin so we'll with. Take boom. We'll take Boom on, right? Boom, boom likes to have fun and... He, he cracks off a good run every now and then. I mean, I mean, right. And I give him credit for following yep. a tour and, and, and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Josh Richards, he's a former champ. This guy here, this he's a winner. This guy knows how to race. He's he's done it at the highest level, right? I mean, he has shown that he can be one of the best dirt late model drivers in America. It, well, I'm going to give you an over and under three feature wins in 2022. I'll say over. Wow. Just, wow. just, just because of the fact that I don't think there, I don't think there's going to be, it's not going to be a stellar group of drivers that follow the outlaw tour. Yeah, that's true. That that's true. Um, has has Madden decided? Has he made the decision if he's following it or he has? I not that I'm aware of. He's, so I, I believe he said he was going to make that decision in the next week or so. Okay. So I mean, let's assume he does. Madden, Madden. Um, you got. I I heard Clanton's not. I heard he's going Lucas. I heard at that last the last night that he, he made the decision he's out of the world of outlaws going Lucas. I don't know if that's true, but that's the way it's kind of looking. So, I mean, you'd have B-Shep, Herb, I mean, Dennis maybe, Herb. Maybe Madden, right? Um, Gustin, um, Tyler Bruning. Tyler Bruning had a pretty good speed week. He, he looked like he had some signs of life. He looked pretty competitive. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Josh Richards is a guy that I expect to win. I'm not convinced. So, Bert says over on three. I'd like to see it. It'd be good for the sport. It really would. I'm going to go under. I, I just did. Well, when I was looking at the all-time feature win list for the World of Outlaws, because I was trying to find Sidney Peterson's name on there to see if it was feature or or, or just the heat race, um, I'm not sure when the last time – I'm not sure if the win list is up to date, but the list that is on the World of Outlaw website right now – B Shep is one victory behind Josh Richards for all time feature win in World of Outlaws. Yeah, I think that's going to change. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see B Shep being the number one by the end of the year for sure. Josh Richards, 
they, they need some signs of life. I think they needed this break. They're probably going to take a few weeks off, regroup, but they need, uh, they need to figure some stuff out because they're, they're just not showing anything. So let's talk about our sure bet. Okay. So our sure bet of the week brought to you by Jay Schmidt real estate, Watertown, South Dakota. If you're in South Dakota, you need real estate transactions for land, for commercial, for residential, for racers, by racers, over 20, 20 years in business. I mean, the guy knows business, but also it's a racing family. And if you're watching this show, you're a racing fan, get a hold of Jay Schmidt Real Estate. He's our lock of the week. So, Bert, other than Jay Schmidt, who do you have for your lock of the week? My lock of the week is that rain is going to win this weekend. <laughs> well, they already beat, uh, they already knocked down the World of Outlaw Sprint car races. Sorry, Keith, but the World of Outlaw Sprints are out. Um, so with that said, we have some racing down in Georgia, the Extreme Series. I'm going to go with Ross Bales is going to get a pair of wins down there um, at those Extreme Dirt Car races. I believe those are on are they on flow or dirt vision? I'm not even positive. One I'm, of them, I'm not sure. I just go to extreme dirt car late models, I believe, online. You'll be able to figure out what they're on. Not a lot of racing action, but there is a pair of five grand to win shows at Livonia, Georgia. But I, week, Ross Bales. I do want to make a comment about my rain comment, though. Um, with the number of high paying shows that are scheduled for this summer, I predicting that we're going to see more of this where they cancel a race like four days before it's scheduled to take place just because of the financial um hit they would take if if everybody shows up and then it gets rained out or you know there's or, there's a little bit more to that story Bert. there's a little bit more so i i uh before gateway i stopped and i visited with brent larson over at his shop right and remember last year, Lucas did that a bunch. They canceled mm -hmm. three days early, but the World of Outlaws never did. They always canceled the day of, right? And and the reason was is is how the tow money worked. If you're a if you're a tour driver, you're guaranteed X amount of money for showing up. Okay. So if the race goes on, whatever the number is, they're guaranteed that tow money above and beyond their purse. Okay. Now, with with the World of Outlaws. They had to, you had to um, actually sell some tickets. You had to actually, if they didn't sell any tickets, right, the drivers got zero. So if they didn't open up, if it rained out on race day or whatever, done. Lucas Oil, though, Lucas Oil, if they sold at least one ticket on race day, okay, whether it canceled or not, that promoter had to give the tour drivers 50% of their tow money. And the, I think that's a good thing, right? Because let's face it, our buddy Joe has done a number on fuel prices, okay? And it's not going down. It's going up, okay? So that tow money is a big deal. I mean, you take these lower budget teams like Brent Larson, they rely on that, right, in order to keep them going. They need that. They need that, right? So if they can't, if they, if you drive to a track and it looks like crappy weather and they probably knew they weren't going to get it in, and then they cancel at the last minute, they still had to pay to get there. And on top of that, miss where they could have possibly went to a different race. With Lucas Oil, they cancel ahead of time, and that saves the driver money, that saves the track money. I think the World of All Series adopted that for this year. I'm not positive on that, 
but I know that's a thing the drivers were talking about. Like that's got to change. I believe it did. And that was because the drivers, the world of outlaw drivers banded together and they presented that to the world, world racing group said, look, here's a couple changes we want to have made. And uh, they stuck behind it and they really, they really didn't have a choice. So I think you're exactly right. You're definitely going to see more races cancel in, you know, a few days ahead of time than, than we have in the past. I think that's going to become a norm. So Bert, let's get to the last lap brought to you by Zuli's race engines. Of course, multiple wins already on the year for Zuli's race engines and street stocks and, and in my, uh, sport mods, soda B mods, whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, if, this is the time of year. I mean, it's February. We're getting close. Get your butt over to Frank. Get your engines refreshing. Get your new ones ordered. Um, he can still get you in, but you need to get there. If you want to win races, a good start is having a good power plant under your hood. Get a hold of Frank at Zuli's Race Engines. So down in Arizona this last weekend, Bert, probably one of the smartest guys up here because he's in the warm weather and we are not. But Don Shaw... Um, been running some late model races. They have their own series down there in Arizona. Doubled up on the weekend, a pair of wins again for Don Shaw. I think he's he must have five, six wins down there in Arizona. And some people say, well, yeah, he's in Arizona. He's not in Florida. It's nicer in Arizona than Florida, right? He's he's not he's not a world of outlaw or Lucas Oil team. He's a Wasota guy racing, having fun down there. So tip of the cap, congratulations on a pair of wins, Don Shaw. So did you see, Bert, what the U.S. MTS series has on store for 2022? Yeah, they're going to pay $100,000 to the champion. Unbelievable. So they're going to honor Leon Ramirez. and They're going to have a Leon Ramirez trophy and $100,000 to the winner of the 2022 U.S. MTS Modified Series unbelievable so the question i have is this with that kind of money on the line you look at some let's just talk some with soda guys maybe you have imca guys too over there you know but you take some of the guys over in your neck of the woods you take some with soda guys you know i'm thinking right off the top of my hand johnny broking um i'm thinking shane sabraski those kind of guys right the people that have the means to go do something like this are they almost out of, you got to remember all their shows pay a minimum of 5,000 to win. Okay. It's five or 10 grand to win all the USMPS shows. And it's a hundred grand to win the points. I don't know what the rest of the breakdown is. I don't even know if they announced that yet, but it's pretty solid and it's worth your time. And it's like 30 some shows. What are, are some of these guys absolutely outside of their mind, not following this series in 2022? Um, It's just, it's tough for a regional racer to win that type of a championship. Um, I mean, Jesse Glenn's tried to chase it last year and um, I mean, he was off the tour almost as soon as he got on the tour. There was um, a little bit more to that story with Glenn's though. I mean, I heard that he had a worn out engine, even Landon Atkinson ran a kind of, I think he ran a Wasota motor for the majority of the season. You know, so they okay. were kind of bringing a knife to a gunfight type of deal, so to speak, right? Um, when Atkinson finally, I think he had an actual USMTS motor in when they came to Ogilvy, I think. Um, not 100% sure on that, but he ran well. Alex Williamson won Mod Wars, 
Jody Delphi was up in the top three. There's another guy, Kevin Adams, who's kind of on his downturn as far as racing, more focused on his kid and just running here and there with his cars. I tell you what, I'll stack our guys, our Wasota guys, up against the USMPS guys, and that's no disrespect to Rodney Sanders, Ramirez, Tanner Mullins, right, Jake, Jake O'Neill, who I don't know if he's going to run that or not. I think he's going to focus. He struggled in that late model, by the way. He did not look good. He he really struggled in that late model. But I'll take our I'll take our top guys against their top guys. Um, maybe it takes a little bit to get used to that tire package. You know, maybe they ain't going to win right away. Ebert, arguably one of the best Wissota modified drivers out there. I don't think he had a USMPS win, but he ran well. Um, but I mean, how how do you get better? You want to get better if you have the financial means to do it, right? You know, I can I can see somebody that doesn't have a big budget not following that because it takes some money to do that. Yeah, I mean, if, if you have the financial means and you're able to, um, if you have the time to be able to travel to all the races, I mean, you know, it depends on what kind of job you have and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, there, there's variables there for, for sure. I can see Broking and Sabraski having the ability to do that the means. Um, I don't think either one of them are, but but I would like to see more of our guys take a shot at it for sure. So with that said, Daytona Speed Weeks this past weekend, of course, they had the duels and then they had the truck race and the Xfinity race. And then, of course, the, the Daytona 500. Austin Sindrick, your Daytona 500 winner, Interesting, but what stuck out to you from Daytona Speed Weeks? Um, what stuck out to me is that I'm glad that I'm a dirt racing fan. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, growing up, I mean, I loved NASCAR. Um, I you know watched it whenever I could. Uh, the Daytona five Daytona five hundred Sunday was like a holiday for me. And I mean, it still is. I mean, the, the Daytona 500 is the one race that I watch, that I make sure that I watch every year. Uh, but it just doesn't seem to have the same spice that it used to, used to have. And, um, you know, it's, it's plate racing. Uh, it's the big wreck. And I've talked about this on the show before. I hate blocking. And that's, that's all they do at the end of the race. And all that does is cause a big wreck. I mean, uh, Cindric won, but uh, Blaney was alongside of him and he tried to block him and pushed him into the wall. And Blaney was my driver in the pool and I would have won $150 if he would have won the race. That is <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so, well, I mean, let's, let's talk about this, right? So four of the five races that I mentioned, so the second duel, the truck race, the ARCA race, or not the ARCA race, the truck race, the Xfinity race, and the cup race, every one of them ended with a big crash. All of them, right? I mean, that that's it's ridiculous. I mean, that I mean, I get it because that's when they actually finally start racing, but I'm not I, I'm a fan of the restrictor plate because it keeps them together and you really don't know who's gonna win till the end but I'm really not a fan of like destroying a whole bunch of cars. And then like whoever's left wins. I mean, not that he cares and not that he watches the show, but I got to give a donkey award to Joey Logano. <laughs> what the hell was he thinking in the second duel? Okay. Like everybody's in the show, right? Everybody's in the show. They got, 
what, 35 charter drivers, 42 tried to qualify for the 500. Only two drivers are not in the show. He's locked in. He's leading, and he throws a huge block, right, on the last lap of the second duel, which meant nothing. It meant nothing. If he falls back to third, oh, well, you got third. You start a couple rows back, the plate race. You're in the hunt. Who cares? And he threw a block, destroys a race car out of pure stupidity, understand he got his butt chewed by his car owner or crew chief or all of the above and i think they only brought like one spare for the whole group to the track and he destroyed one in that race i mean that kind of stuff there so that leads me to this okay let's talk nascar they remember it used to be 43 cars started the daytona 500 42 is all that tried to qualify first of all i mean how stupid is it that they don't just say 42 cars are here. Let's just put them all in. I mean, what's the point of sending two cars home when it's 40? Does that make any sense? Well, they had to try to create some excitement in the, for the dual races because for the telecast, like, oh, this guy's racing against this guy. And no, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I used, well, when they ran the duels in the afternoon, I would actually take vacation time off from work so I could watch the duels. Well, now they're on during the evening, so I don't need to, but I had them on, but I'm doing other things around the house because it's just like, there's just not a lot of excitement. There's not. So I'm going to ask you this question. I get it. I get why they have 35 chartered drivers automatically locked in. I get it. I understand why it's money. It's, it's, you know, the corporate sponsors. I get it. Okay. I get it. But first of all, there ain't even enough freaking cars half the time to have a full field, right? They got out there calling drivers, teams, and begging them to come to some of these shows just to fill the show. And they got start and park teams that don't even run all the laps, okay? So, so there is that. But the charter driver deal, right, does that if – you're, if you're somebody, if you're somebody down in the Charlotte area that says, you know what, I think I want to field a car for the Daytona 500, Okay. 35 cars are locked in. You're literally racing for a total of five spots. And I think a couple of them were locked in on speed. So is there even a point? Why even try now? Because there's so few spots to even try to get in. I'd like to see them just go back to the old way. Like there ain't no, you, you earn your way into the 500, right? And, and I've saw people talk about it. The race that they had over at the Coliseum in Vegas. And, and I thought overall, I loved the format. I like the heats. I like the B mains. I like that format. I don't know that that works on a two and a half mile day. Right. I don't know that, right? Probably not. Okay. But why not? You know what? Why not have a, a different type of qualifying format to get in, make it more interesting? You know, I think they, I think they learned something there. The one thing I, you know, that I'd like to see is get rid of this charter. And I get why they do it. But most of them guys are going to make the show anyway. I mean, come on, right? Well, I mean, if they didn't have, before they had the charter deal, I mean, the top drivers were still were still guaranteed because they had the provisionals that they now now they don't have provisionals because the charter teams are guaranteed to start the race. Right. Um, um, but like for qualifying, when they had the time trials. You know, I started watching, I wasn't exactly sure what the format was. And then I heard them say that the top 10, then, you know, 
advance on. So I, th I thought they were going to do it like short track where the top 10 and qualifying actually race a race to determine, have like a dash to determine their starting spot. No, the top 10 do another round of time trials. It's just like, who wants to watch that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the one thing I will say though, is I don't know that I've seen a crowd like that at the Daytona 500 in a while. That was unbelievable. The amount of people that were there, you know, out on the track beforehand, pre-race stuff. And I mean, a capacity crowd, electricity in the air, at you know the, the greatest race there is in NASCAR, the Daytona 500. So that shows you right there that even though we're dirt guys, it's not our cup of tea. It's still popular enough to fill the place. Oh, yeah. And I get it. People say, hey, they took seats out. And they did. They did for sure a couple of years back. But there was still a shit ton of people there. There was. I haven't. Heard, I heard numbers as high as 150,000 between the infield and all that. I don't know that to be a hundred percent true, but there was over a hundred thousand and there's not over a hundred thousand at any dirt race ever. Right. So that shows you right there that it's still very, very popular regardless. And they, they filled the place. So congratulations to them on that. So our current standings, uh, Jeff is at 23, Puka's at 21 and I'm at 18. All right, Bert's at 28. Uh, I kind of feel like you got pencil whipped here, um, which I'm okay with, by the way. <laughs> closer to you, you're, you're 10 ahead of me. Like, I'm really sucking it up here. But uh, this weekend, we, we don't really have – we were going to pick the World of Outlaws, right? We were going to pick the World of Outlaw sprint cars, but Mother Nature already won those. In fact, I don't know if you saw my recent picks. I did pick Mother Nature for both. So I should get four points for that, Jeff take note um but upcoming this week if you're a late model fan extreme dirt late model series action double header at livonia speedway in georgia my pick like i talked about lock of the week ross bale is going to win both times i got a question for you though bert are are we going to see you know your chris madden type your overton type are we going to see them guys make the trip over there for a pair of five grand to win shows or do you think that they're like man, it is nice to have a week or two off to regroup and kind of catch our second breath again. Are, do you, number one, over and under, three series-type upper echelon top-tier drivers that aren't following the series um, at Livonia this weekend? I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take, I'm gonna, uh, I, I like to be often, I'm taking even. I'm going to go with three. They're going to be. But uh, I'm going to say that we're going to see three guys that don't normally follow the series. I hope so, um, because it's just more more racing, more money, and a regional deal for them guys. But, you know, just one thing I want to close on, Bert. So we talked a little bit about $72,000 modified, right? That That's what – and that's a real number. That's what they're paying. You want the best of everything? It's going to cost about that much. I heard rumors that there's guys jumping into a late model, right? that are paying that, that by the time it's all said and done, turnkey race ready are going to have over a hundred thousand dollars nearing 120,000 into a late model to race with soda regional late model racing. It's on a, I mean, it is absolutely crazy. You drivers, you can't complain about the purse. 
Oh, it should be a thousand instead of seven hundred. If you're spending a hundred thousand dollars on a late model, like you just need to stop talking, like seriously, because you're not at that point. Money just does not matter. You're not worried about the extra hundred or two hundred dollars. Clearly, you're just not okay. I, I just wanna, I just wanna say this for all the racers out there listening race a class that you can enjoy and afford to race kenny wallace said this a couple years back on on one of his facebook lives when should a person move up you don't have to ever feel obligated to move up if you're in a class that you enjoy and if if you're not going broke you're paying your bills you enjoy it race that class right don't we have too many people that they jump up into another class and two years later they're done because they are flat out of money race a class that you can afford if somebody's saying oh you've been in that class too long say great buy me and buy me a car i'll run a late model you fund it i'll drive it no, no big deal do that okay but if you're in a if you're a pure stock guy if you're a street stock guy if you're a super stock mod sport mod imca with soda i don't care right if you're in a class and people are giving you shit because they think you should be moving up tell them to start paying your bills if, if they're not paying your bills, their opinion don't matter. If you're enjoying what you do and you can afford it, stay there. Then I'm telling you right now, I've seen a lot of racing, Burt, street stocks, right? Some of the best racing, and I raved about this all year last year, some of the best racing regionally that I saw was with Soda Streets and IMCA stoppers. Unbelievable. In fact, I would argue that the majority of the time, those two features are better than the Wasoda late model features. They just are, right? So it's all about going out, having a good time, being competitive, not going broke. You don't have to move up. You look at these prices of the 72,000, I know a ton of people, a ton that don't even make 72 grand in a year gross, right? Let alone, you know, they don't make that. And they're going to pay that much for a race car. It don't even make sense. Don't do that. Race something you can afford. We need more cars. We need more drivers. We can't have people going broke, getting divorces, losing their homes because they're spending every dollar they had in a class that they probably don't belong in financially. So that that's me on my soapbox. Bert, any closing thoughts on episode 117? No, uh, just uh, it's hard to believe next week is March already. So we're getting closer to uh, racing in our area. Still about a month. A little over a month away, a month and a half away. It is next week already. I, I had to look at that. I'm like, are we already to the end of February? And we are. It feels like it's just snapped away just like that. It's been crazy. So we got this races coming up here early part of March. Uh, fairly regional, right? And we'll talk more about that in the shows to come. So again, uh, always fun chat and racing. We could sit and talk for another three, four hours, but we're probably not going to do that here tonight. So you'll have to come back and join us next week. But uh, again, I'm Ryan. That is Bert. And thanks for tuning in to the One to Go Show. A production of Goat Sports Media, LLC.